Welcome to the CLC podcast. CLC is a Columbus Leadership Campus of Point University located at North Highland Church. CLC exists to equip young leaders and help them unlock their God-given potential through practical ministry training and biblical education. For more information about our school, you can visit our website at clcgeorgia.com. Today, I assume I'm going to make some assumptions. I assume you are uh, here as a leader or an aspiring leader. Uh, you are not just in a college. You are in a, um, a leadership um, environment. Can I move this out of the way? I'm not used to pulpits. I'm sorry. I'm just going to use this off to the side for reference point. Is that okay? Um, uh, so we're more connected. We're not you know, disconnected by a pulpit. Uh, I assume that you're here as a leadership student. Uh, you are aspiring to some sort of leadership position, whether it's in a church, a youth church, um, uh, a doctor's office, or uh, the business uh, market. Is this correct? Like you're not just here for a college education, or you could, have, you could have gone to CSU, correct? You're here for leadership. So we're going to talk about leadership uh, today. And I'm not here to like entertain you this morning as much. We'll have some fun, but uh, I want I want to jump into God's word. Is that okay? We we're like hear about Jesus. We're, the Bible says a lot about leadership, so can we jump into it? Yeah, Joshua 24, Joshua 24. I assume you know who Joshua is. All right. So here's the thing: we are interactive t- this morning, right? I know it's early. Listen, I drove an hour and a half to be here, so I'm, I'm after a big long day yesterday. So like, I'm tired too. I know you're tired, but let's be interactive today. You know who Joshua is? Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you. All right, this is the absolute end of Joshua's life. He is. Um, this is his last mantra to his people. Um, and actually, let's skip that part. The very. Let's go to verse 31. Um, this is said about Joshua after he is, he is gone. It says this, listen, the people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him, those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel. Let's read that again. The people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua, which would be great. You know, you're leading people, they, they serve God while you're there. But then it says this, and the elders that outlived him. That's influence, isn't it? After the leader is gone and dead, people are still serving him, Jesus, because of who Joshua is. It's pretty incredible influence. Can we pray? Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for leadership. God, we thank you for influence. God, we thank you for um, the leaders that are in this room, not future leaders, but uh, today's leaders that are in this room. God, I pray over the next few moments that this wouldn't be a um, discussion of ideas or, or leadership concepts or even stories from your word or legendary, legendary leaders, but God, this would be an encounter with your Holy Spirit that uh, something that would change inside our spirit and our soul and there would be a, an eruption of spiritual ambition and leadership ambition within all of our hearts and our minds and our spirits. Help us to dream. Help us to learn who we are. God, speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, Justin uh, mentioned Fun Run. Who plays video games? Like, you, any Fortniters? Yeah? How, is anybody, like, up late last night playing video games? 
That's a good thing to say in, in like class so that your leaders aren't going, oh yeah, you're wasting your time. Uh, I, I, I played uh, video games in high school and, and col a little bit in college and then I realized that I couldn't stay up till 3 a.m. in the morning playing, like it was Fortnite now, but it was like Halo uh, back in the day, you know um, what I mean? <laughs> I remember uh, a, a moment, then everything switched, right? It went like, I think they still have Xboxes and Playstations and all that stuff and, and I think Wii has reinvented itself, but I remember now everything's on your phones, like we have easy games on our phones, right? Uh, I remember uh, a, a portion of my life, and I have a, a, a games on my phone for my kids, but also I, I play a golf game because I'm old now, uh, and that's what I do. Uh, but my wife, Christy, and I can talk about her behind her back because she's not here, uh, but she played this game called Diner Dash. Do you remember this game, Diner Dash? Okay. And, like, here's my problem with Diner Dash. Like, you're, you're playing a game where you are working at a restaurant, serving tables, washing dishes, correct, taking orders, and you're not getting paid for it. Like, you pay to serve other people on your phone that aren't even real. Like, go get a job. Go get a job. Get paid for what you're doing on your phone right now. That's a problem for me. Also, she really likes this game. Uh, uh, she got into that whole Sims thing. You know what Sims is? Like where you create, I think Fortnite is kind of the same way where you get skins and you get um, avatars and all this and you can kind of recreate who you're going to be in this little game, which is fun. My kids love um, uh, Minecraft where you can build things like, well, we got some Minecraft fans. Yeah. You like build, it, it, here's the thing. Here's the concept is you, you have an opportunity to create a, an alternate reality outside of your world. Like, you don't have the opportunity to do these things so you can go on your phone or your computer or your Xbox or whatever and build something that you don't currently have right now, correct? Even with building avatars in, like, you know what bitmojis are where you can build, like, my bitmoji's sexy. He's, like, skinny. He's got hair. He's a little bit hipster, but not too much hipster. Like, he is, like, who I would really like to be, but... I'm chubby, so I, I can't be, but you can create who you really want to be. You in this room, you are here for uh, maybe three, four years possibly, yeah, in, in college, and you are creating right now who you are going to be as a leader. You have an opportunity, and you can take four years and wait to get into the marketplace, get into ministry to figure out who you're going to be, or you can take these four years and like, capitalize on it. Every day waking up and getting in the presence of God and going, God, who do you want me to be today? I, I love you and I love to worship you, but God, how do you want me to interact with your world? You have four years to be under incredible leaders, and I want to honor them today. Pastor Dennis and Sue, they're not here. They should be in here listening to me, but they're not. They're, they're doing incredible things, I'm sure. Brad and, um, and Jonathan Jubilee and, and Justin and Cassie, you have incredible people that are, are modeling for you certain behaviors, certain leadership acumen that you can take from and formulate who you're going to be as a leader, correct? You have that opportunity. Joshua in the Bible here, we see at the end of his life, there is a group of people, the people of Israel. Think about, think about the reality of the people of Israel by the time Joshua is, is dead and gone. They have been enslaved by the Egyptians for generations, building mud bricks, building pyramids, building palaces for people that aren't them, that, that uh, a nation that's not them, they're, they're enslaved by them. 
And then they are dramatically uh, rescued from slavery uh, through 10 plagues. Remember the stories, right? And they leave, they go out, they meet the Red Sea. Pharaoh uh, has uh, buyer's remorse, goes and tries to get them. And, and they're freaking out going, ah, should we just go back to Israel like what? or uh, Egypt? It's better to, to be a slave in Egypt than it would be to die in the wilderness, remember? And then they, 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 uh, they walk across the Red Sea on dry ground and into the wilderness, right? So think about the mental, how jacked up mentally they are in their heads. They've been slaves, no options of their own. They, then they go and for 40 years wander in the wilderness, nomads, not a, they are a nation, but they have no place of their own. Then finally, uh, they get to this promised land, and their leader, Moses, who has brought them out of Egypt, is dead and gone. And now God places within uh, leadership a man named Joshua. Joshua ends up on the scene for the very first time in Exodus 33. We're going to go there in a moment. But Joshua, why Joshua? Like Joshua, by the end of his life, is this leader who has um, this legacy of leadership to where people are still following God because of him and because of his leadership. Isn't that the goal for all of us? Like I pray that after I'm gone, whether I'm retired, I don't know if I'll ever be, hopefully I I can retire someday. But like after I'm done preaching and, and leading and doing whatever I do, Uh, After I'm gone, I hope that the people that were under my leadership at that time in our churches and our whatever we are able to do are still loving Jesus. The people that I led in when I was a youth pastor, some of them are still serving Jesus uh, because of our time there. And and I and I honor God and I thank God for those moments. Same thing with Pastor Jonathan knows how that goes. Uh, Justin and Cassie know how that goes. Like you pray for those moments that the people that are under you just kind of get it. And long after you're gone. Because if, if they serve God just while you're in charge of them, then it's more about you than it is about God. So you need long-lasting, long-lasting leadership. And, the, and what better person to, to learn that from than Joshua because of that verse? So I, I think Joshua, how, how do we learn the concepts of who Joshua was as a leader, taking over for this epic leader that brought them out of slavery for generations. How does this guy with uh, being strong and courageous lead for so long to where people are like, man, because of Joshua, we're going to continue to follow God. I think there's a lot of things we can learn. First of all, go over to Exodus 33. We're going to talk out of the Bible because I think it's kind of a good thing to do. Um, In Exodus 33, this is directly after Mount Sinai. Uh, there, wandering in the wilderness, God brings Moses up on the mountain to give him instructions. And while he's up on the mountain, these fools down on the valley start doing some crazy things. They, they get all their earrings and bracelets together and they melt them down and make a baby cow and start worshiping him. Remember this? It's like idiotic. They just, they're, they're mentally just jacked up to where they have to worship something. So it's a whole nother message. Anyway, so they, they're, they're worshiping God and Moses get mad. Moses comes down, grinds down the, the baby calf into a powder and puts it in water, makes them all drink it, which is a severe overcorrection. And then uh, they get things right and they build a tent called the tent of meeting. And this is where God presence, God's presence resides. And uh, he is there. And it says here that Moses... Uh, Let's just read it in in, uh, verse 11. It says this, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, which is terrifying, right? As one speaks to a friend. After Moses would return to the camp, get this, 
But the man, young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Like I've heard this preached a million times about, um, about his uh, cleaning up after Moses and that was his duty. But there's something about uh, Joshua that is in the tent of meeting with Moses, watching Moses. He's learning from Moses. He's seeing Moses talk to, to God and how that interaction works. But then after the man of God, Moses leaves, Joshua remains. Like there's, there's a concept with our relationship with God as leaders that says, man, after all the hype is gone, after the music stops, after the worship band packs up and leaves, after the preacher says amen and goes to Applebee's for his quesadilla, you, what are you going to do? Do you have a hunger to remain in the presence of God? Like, it's easy on Sunday, right? It's easy on Sunday morning. It's easy in youth. It's easy in these chapel sessions where the music's loud. There's just there's a, 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 a group of people that are just hungry for God. But then when you shut the lights off and you go to class or you go to work, it's like, it's not so easy. The presence of God, and, and this is where uh, Joshua learns. This is where he learns how to do this. He learns from example. He sees he sees Moses. He sees him interacting in the presence of God. And then he remains. He's like, oh, man, I want that. I want the presence of God in my life. I, I value it, and I'm just going to remain and linger in the presence of God. And that's an example he learns. He learns by example. He learns from the example of Moses. But then you got to think about Joshua in this context, too. And not just in the tent of meeting where it's easy. Joshua also has a lot of other examples. Get, think about this. He is wandering in the wilderness, too. He also wandered in the wilderness with Moses. We think about Joshua as the guy who marches around Jericho, who, he, who leads the people into the promised land. But before that, he was a wanderer, too. He was watching Moses going, where are we going? How are we going to get there? Think about it. He has a lot of different examples. He sees Moses when God tells him to speak to the rock for the water to come out, he sees Moses disobey and do what Moses has always done and throws his staff into the rock for the water to come out. He sees that interaction. He sees the disobedience. He sees the wandering. He sees the complaining. He sees the dysfunction of Israel wandering in the wilderness. He has those examples. What am I trying to say? You have a lot of examples to lead. You can become the product of your environment growing up. I don't know you. I don't know who your parents are, how much was in your bank account growing up, how abusive your leadership uh, you were in your maybe your church or in your family, whether you had a father and mother, uh, nuclear family or not. Maybe you're in a secret single parent family. Whatever your model of leadership, whatever examples you have to learn from are all should be laid out on a table in front of you in these years of you formulating what kind of leader you're going to be. They're all there. You have good examples. You have detrimental, destructive examples. You have um, uh, mediocre examples. I, I, I grew up in a very large youth group in a very huge church in Orlando. Great leadership. I just... I learned so much growing up that I didn't know I was learning just by watching my leaders. Then I went to Omaha, Nebraska. I was a youth pastor there for three years. Was under really strict leadership that was just very, you work 40 to 50 hours a week and then Sunday. Like it was just very tough. It was very rigorous. And then I went to Cincinnati for three years and was a youth pastor there under a leadership where he was just so laid back. He barely came into the office. It was up to me to kind of lead my portion of that church. And then I came to to uh, South Atlanta where it was just, it was very tough too. It was very uh, 
like strong leadership and and you didn't have many options it was obey or die kind of thing and and, and that and i've have all these different examples i have great in-laws that are incredible leaders i have my my parents who are consistent their whole day i've been on staff with a lot of great leaders and a lot of really bad leaders and i and when i look at all the examples i have on the table in front of me and and three years ago when we took this church on we i, I started going who am i who am I going to, with all the examples I have, who am I going to be leader? I, how, what kind of leader am I going to be? I, we've wandered in the wilderness. I, I, I've seen the disobedience, but I've also seen, I've been in the tent of meeting. I've, I have all these examples. Who am I? Who am I going to be? Who's Ben Steffens going to be as a leader? How am I going to treat people? How am I going to honor the presence of God? What am I going to be about? How am I going to lead? You're going to have a lot of examples, and you can be the product of the, the detrimental environment and allow that to happen. But here, Joshua, we see he has a lot of bad examples in his life, but he chooses to take the good examples. He chooses to take the, the moments in, where he lingered in the presence of God after Moses leaves the tent of meeting. He takes those examples and puts them to use. Then in Joshua 1, he, we see God says, says to him, be strong and of good courage. You're going to need courage in your life to take the good examples and to weigh out the bad. You're going to see yourself have these, um, these uh, ways about you where you're going to kind of lean into the way you've always been led and, and you don't like the way and you know it's wrong and you know it's not a good thing, but you're going to emotionally kind of lead sometimes and you, you have to have the courage and the awareness to stop yourself and go, no. Even though it would be easy to kind of lean in, and I feel like I should be doing this, you're going to have these moments where you go, nope, I'm not going to be that way. I'm going to have the courage to do the right thing, even though it's the, the, the hard thing. Does this make sense? He learned by example. He had every reason to do that. What example are you going to follow? Secondly, he, he not only learned by example, but he leveraged his experience. All of a sudden, Moses is gone. He's, he's been in the tent of meeting. He, now God says, Get this, too. This is, this is an interesting concept. When Moses leaves, the one that brought him out of slavery, the one that God called out of the backside of the desert to bring his people out of Egypt, after he is disobeyed and God says, hey, you, you struck the rock instead of speaking to it, so you can't lead, I can't trust you to lead them, my people into the promised land. After Moses is gone, guess who? God's sitting there going, okay, who's going to lead my people now? Guess who he chooses? The one that lingered in his presence, the one that God can trust to be obedient and, and to be about his leading and his guiding. Like Paul writes in uh, Galatians 5, so let, 5, so let the Holy Spirit guide your life. He says, man, I, I'm, I'm going to choose the one that, I can that, that knows that he's going to let me guide my people in him and not just him doing what he's always done. I'm going to choose Joshua because he understands my presence. That's, does, that, does that make sense to you? we got to be about his presence, and God will choose you and elevate you if you're about him and not yourself or anybody else. Good? Okay. Uh, Joshua 6. So he leverages experience. He's seen Moses do all these things, and all of a sudden, he's got the reins. He's got the throne. He's got, he's got the, uh, the office. He's got the office in the corner. He's got the Oval Office. He's in charge now. And he is tasked with taking this dysfunctional people that have been mentally abused over generations and take them into the next uh, season of their history, the next era of their history. This is Joshua. And, and so he's going, okay, what have I seen in my life? I've learned my, my example. And all of a sudden he starts getting his own examples and experiences. 
he, we see him bring the people into the, the promised land, and he finds himself at this huge city called Jericho. We all know the story, but put yourself back into that position. You, you're leading these people. You're in charge, and you lead these millions of people to Jericho, and they see this, this big fortified city. It's not really wide. It's just very tall. The walls are huge, and they're going, how are We've been wandering. We don't even have our land. We don't have an army. We don't have tanks. We don't have anything. Like, what, what, how are we going to, if we're going to, this is our land. How are we going to take this city? Think about this. God could have said, God, like, he's sovereign. He's all-knowing. Like, he is uh, eras ahead in technology than we are, right? So, in this moment, God could have, he could have given Joshua the plans for, for dynamite or for tanks, or for guns. Like, he could have done this, these things. But he looks at, at Joshua, and he says what? He comes up with this most crazy plan. Like, if, if it was me instead of Joshua, I would have folded. Because God says to them, for six days, I want you to just walk around silently around the city. I'm like, what? Silently? Just, just walk? That's it? Yeah, and, and get this. On the seventh day, I want you to walk around seven times. Okay, no, but it gets better. On the seventh time, I, I don't want you to bum rush uh, the gates. I don't want you to like take a battering ram to the gates. I want you to yell and scream and sing. Really? Like, you think that's gonna work, God? I'd have been like, seriously, God, no. Like, what else you got? What's Plan B? Because Plan A sucks. <clears throat> like, what do we? What What else you got in your bag of tricks? No, I want you. But here's the thing. Joshua looks at this and goes, oh, you want me to speak to the rock? Because I saw Moses, you told Moses to speak to the rock, but he struck the rock. So I have a, I have a moment here where I could obey or I could, man, we could strike the rock. We could get our, we could get our battering rams and we get all the strength we can. We could just fight the city. But you're telling me to speak to the rock. What should I do? What happened to my, my last leader who spoke to the rock? He got disqualified. And so God's saying, man, can you just obey me in this moment? This was a test for Joshua's leadership. Are you going to speak or are you going to strike? And he speaks. And, and guess what happens? In, in, in verse, um, where is it? In uh, chapter 6, verse 20, it says this. When the people heard the sound of the, the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly, the walls of Jericho collapsed. And the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything with their swords. Men, women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. I don't know what goats and donkeys ever did to them, but that's what they did. They came and destroyed. They, they obeyed God. They spoke to the rock, and all of a sudden the walls come down. Can you imagine your, your mentality in that moment? You've been wandering for 40 years. You walk into the, this, this area where uh, there's this big city. You don't know what's going on. Like, you don't have confidence. You, I mean, there's zero confidence. You've been enslaved for generations. You're mentally abused for generations. And, and you have no confidence in your, your... There's no nationalistic or patriotic mentality in your people. And God says, instead of showing strength, which is what everybody else does, I want you to obey me and just kind of shout. And then you see these walls come down. All of a sudden, you're like carving S's on your chest, and you're going, oh, my gosh, we are the best ever. Like, no one's got anything. All of a sudden, you get this internal confidence based on the experience you have of obeying God. In your leadership over the next couple years, before you enter kind of your, your vocational ministry or your 
um, your marketplace, wherever you're going to lead, you have these experiences that you have to gather. Maybe it's uh, in, in youth, in real life, you're going to go pray for a kid who all of a sudden for the first time makes a good decision in his life, no matter how uh, small it is uh, in the grand scheme of life, you see him make a decision. That's the walls coming down of Jericho that you can recognize in your experience and go, oh my gosh, God just did that through me. And that's an experience. You can write it down. Then you, you do the next thing. You, God gives you more responsibility. You say, oh man, uh, someone gave me a devotional to speak and you just kill it, man. You crush it. And you feel like God's spoken through, through you and people are learning because of you. You write that down. That's an experience. You're leveraging your experience. And as you do, other people leverage their experiences in watching you. The, the, the nation of Israel is seeing Joshua lead. And they're going, oh, my gosh, like Moses. Moses never had that moment. There's, there's something about Joshua. Like, I want to, maybe I could lead. Maybe I could lead like that. Maybe if I stepped out and obeyed God, man, we got to start obeying God. That so all of a sudden they had this confidence. We understand that they walked into the next battle in a little town called Ai with a big S on their chest, seeing the obedience that Moses had, and they lose. They dramatically lose because one fool, Achan, stole some goods and buried it in his tent. Remember this story? Joshua cleans house. He says, no, 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 no. We got to obey God. He cleans house, and it gets really bloody. Let's just say it that way. They just all die. Because Joshua says, no, we have set a precedent, we have a victory, and we're going to protect the victory. We're going to protect the obedience that we've just had. A lot of times in your experience, you'll see this. You'll have a major win in your ministry or your organization or your business, and you let it ride. And all of a sudden, it becomes the good old days, and we stop there. And you get five years down the road, and you haven't progressed at all, and things are getting stale and boring. And you look back on, no, man, one time these walls came down, and it was awesome. But no other walls have come down since. You have to protect the obedience. You have to protect the integrity of what you're doing and keep on progressing, right? So he leverages experiences. He sees them. They, they, they build their leadership. Your leadership is stronger. <coughs> Excuse me. When you bring others into your experience. Get, think about this. Joshua could have got on a stage and said, hey, listen, everybody. <clears throat> this is what churches do all the time. Hey, everybody, do this because I said so. Because I'm your leader, I'm your spiritual authority, and I'm telling you to do this, so do it or else. And you know what? Like 60% of the people obey because it's, there's someone on a stage with a mic telling them what to do. The other 40 are going, okay, we'll see how that pans out. But here's the thing, when you bring people into an experience with the Holy Spirit and they see that win with you, all of a sudden they have an experience of their own. And your leadership is, becomes stronger when pe other people have an experience of their own. You may not get the credit for it, but, but they have an experience. You've done what you're supposed to do. You're bringing them into the presence of God. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm trying to go really, really quickly. Sorry. Lastly, uh, um, and I just use uh, this word because it rhymes and it goes uh, because it's all L words. He launched exclusively. Joshua launches exclusively in, in Joshua 24, the last, the last portion of this scripture, right before uh, the scripture we read about um, people serving him. 
This is Joshua's last mantra. So he's, he's brought them into the, the promised land. They've seen Jericho's walls fall. They see him uh, protect the integrity of, of kind of their obedience to God. They, and all of a sudden, they just start rolling. They go town to town just destroying it and taking what God's promised them. They just, man, they just start seeing God's faithfulness. And all of a sudden, all of Canaan, all the promised land is theirs. And they have all these experiences of seeing God's faithfulness. And this is Joshua's last moments. It's his last words to the nation that he has been leading. And for me, if I was Joshua, I would have said something completely different. I would have said, look at what God's done. Praise the Lord. I've been a good leader. I love you. Love you, kids. Love you, grandkids. Peace, and I'm out. I'm going to retire. There's a beach down in Malta. I got a, I got a condo. Y'all come visit me when you want. That's what I would have been like. But Joshua says something different. Of course, this is why I'm not Joshua. Verse 14 of chapter 24. He says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. So, so dramatic, so epic. This moment, serve God. Then he says something super interesting, and it throws me off when I read it. He says, but if you don't, if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose who you're going to serve. He gives them an option. He says, serve the Lord. You've seen what he's done. But if you don't, you better choose who you're going to serve. And then he gets real sarcastic. It's awesome. He says, um, would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? And then he gets really sarcastic. Are you, or it will be it, will, will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? Good luck with that. The land you now live, the Amorites who we've defeated, like obviously they weren't strong enough to, to win over us, but they've got gods. You can serve them if you'd like, but it's up to you. He says, but for me and my house, for me and my family, we're gonna, we're gonna serve the Lord. He launches exclusively. He says, Listen, in all the experiences you've had, in the examples you've had, you can take it by the bull by the horns and say, God, you've been forever faithful. And, and I'm not going to always be perfect as a leader, but I'm going to go with you. But instead of commanding them what to do, he says, at some point, you've got to choose for your own self who you're going to serve, how you're going to lead, how you're going to treat people. You've got four years in this incredible college to, to learn from great leaders how you're going to lead. And you can take the good moments and the bad moments. And you can tell people how to lead or you can say, hey, listen, you've had this example. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do as a leader. As a youth pastor, as a pastor, is, is saying, man, you've got to serve God. You've got to serve God. And you can take them by the collar and just kind of shake God into them. But the hardest thing is to let go and say, Monday morning, Tuesday morning, what are you going to do? I had a really frustrating moment Saturday night. I was doing a wedding for a, a couple that had been living together, a kid together. Um, they've come into the church in the last six months, and and they're not even like, she's really kind of pushing in to, to serve the Lord. He is in this moment where he's a good Southern just guy. Uh, he loves his beer. Uh, she they're just this this wedding like I'm, I'm in this uh guest house with this groom and the the best man and the best man's just feeding him beer to kind of calm his nerves for the wedding 
And um, I'm just sitting there going, I've, we've taught you. you. You've experienced the presence of God. This is your moment to learn. And the, the best man, all of a sudden, they get stopped joking around for a second. He looks at me, he goes, he puts his southern chest out and he says, I'd be a jerk if I didn't offer you one. Uh, and, um, and I'm like, what am I going to do? I said, no, I'm good. Obviously, I said, I'm good. I'm good. And, the be- and I wanted to hear what the groom would say. And Brett goes, no, he's good. He, he's good. He doesn't need that. He's the good one. Listen, you can train people, and, and I could have said, you don't need that beer, Brett. You don't need to, to drink that to calm your nerves. Did he take it? Of course he did. <laughs> of course he did. But as, and, and about five minutes later, he's still kind of nervous, and that, that alcohol's not working for him. And I said, hey, guys, let's take a moment. Come here, let's pray. We gathered together in this gnat-filled, south, humid environment with suits and tuxes on it, and I just said, God, you're the God that's, that promises the peace, is the peace that passes understanding. God, the peace that doesn't make sense in moments like this. God, I pray, pray that would flood into his life and calm his nerves. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. And he goes, <clears throat> thanks for that. And all of a sudden, he sticks his chest out, and he gets this confidence that he doesn't even realize what's happening. You can force Jesus, try to force Jesus into people's life. Or you can teach and model, and then at the end of your life, step back and go, you have seen what God can do, but if you refuse to choose him, choose who you're going to serve. You have to launch ex- exclusively. The, the New Testament talks about this too. Jesus walks with his disciples into Samaria, a place where Jewish people don't want, roll into. And he rolls to a, uh, a well, and there's a woman, a Samaritan woman, who you don't interact with if you are a Jewish man. And he begins to inter- interact with her and talk about worship and, and all this. And she's getting this, this experience with the presence of Jesus. And all of a sudden, he calls her out and says, you're right. You're not married, but you've had five husbands. And the man you're shacked with right now ain't even your husband. And she says, oh, snap, I think you're a prophet. And she has this interaction with Jesus. And the Bible says that the, the disciples come back and it says no one said a word, but it was written all over their face what was going on. And she bolts, which is, again, what churches do. She goes back to her, her little village and she begins to tell everybody about what happened. And here in, in John uh, 39, I want you to read this. I want to read this to you and I want you to listen to this. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, get this, they begged him to stay for, to, uh, in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more people to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, get this, listen to this, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. We, you told us and some people believed, right? She went back and some people believed in Jesus because of what she said. But then all of a sudden she brings people into the presence of Jesus and they have an experience of their own. And then all of a sudden it says many more believe because now they had an experience of their own. There are gonna be some people in your life that will experience Jesus because of you in your, your presence and they're gonna believe in Jesus. But the important part, you gotta remember this, the important part is to give people an experience of their own. 
because then they can't, they can't argue doctrine, they can't argue theology because they can't argue with experience. We are, are, are tasked and mandated as leaders to bring people into the presence of God and to give them examples and to give them experiences with him. And at the end of the time, you can say, listen, at, at, at some point you have to lay out on your table all the experiences and examples you have in your life and choose who you're going to serve and then walk away. Drop the mic and walk away. Say, you, you have to, listen, you have an incredible opportunity for the next couple of years to decide who you're going to be as a leader. Who you're going to be, strike that. Who you're going to be as a follower of Jesus. Because, man, it's easy right now. You're in, you're in Bible college. Like, it's somewhat easy. You're kind of forced to be here, even though you pay, you know. But you have an incredible example in this insanely awesome church to, to learn what it means to follow God. And, and, and then on the leadership side, who, how you're going to treat people, how are you going to lead people with strength and confidence and security? How, how are you going to lead? You have examples. You have ex you're gathering experiences. Who are you going to be? Because all I know is there is a world out there, Columbus is out there that needs an experience with Jesus, and they need some incredibly good, secure people to lead them there, to give them an experience with Jesus, whether it's in a church setting or in a, in a Starbucks or a McDonald's or whatever, Dairy Queen, because I like they need people to model what it means to be a follower of Christ and a good leader. Does this make sense? There's a world that needs a, a, an experience with Jesus, and it's up to us to lead them there. So how are we going to lead them there? You need to ask that question, who am I going to be? How am I going to lead? How am I going to serve God? Beyond where am I going to get a job? Who am I going to be? Let me just tell you, as an employer now, I look at people who are asking, who am I going to be, not... Like, am I going to get a job? Makes sense. Like, work on you. If you want a, if you want a significant other, you want a marriage partner, work on you. Not who you think they're going to buy into. Yeah? Does that make sense? Because at some point, they're going to figure out who you really are. And if you haven't worked on that, answer those questions. They're going to figure it out. Yeah? you bow your heads, close your eyes. Let's pray before I lose any more of my voice. Lord Jesus, <clears throat> we are insanely grateful for these moments. God, I'm so grateful for CLC and, and what it seeks to do and what it's doing. God, I pray for these students and these leaders that are in this room. Holy Spirit, even in this moment, I pray that you would begin to speak to them and help them have the courage to be even able to ask the question, who am I going to be? God, as we look at the examples laid out on the table of our lives in front of us, we see the good examples, we see the wandering, we see the disobedience, but we also see the meeting with you and the lingering in the tent of meeting. God, we see all these good and bad examples and God, help us to look at them and, and, and choose who we're going to be. God, as we gather those experiences, those wins of praying with people and having a, a good integrous moment of making the right decision in a really tough moment. God, as we, we gather all these experiences and these victories, God, help us to protect them. 
God, and as we lead, Lord, as we take the reins ourselves, whether it's a, a youth pastor position, whether it's a pastor position, whether it's a doctor or a business leader or a manager, whatever it is, God, I pray as we gather these experiences, we would be able to lead correctly. God, help us to ask those questions. Who are, how are we going to lead? How are we going to treat people? In those hard moments where we have the, the opportunity to kind of uh, step into an integrous, um, ambiguous moment, God, help us to choose the right thing. Get at the end of our lives and at the end of our leadership, God, at seasons, help us to be able to drop the mic and say to those around us, you've seen what God's done, but it's up to you to choose. And help us to have the courage to take a step back and put you in the forefront and not our own selves. God, we're here not to be a medium between Jesus and them God, we are to be a connector of pushing them into your presence so that they can have an experience of their own self and choose for their own selves. God, make us great leaders. Make us secure in who we are. God, help us to be strong and courageous. And God, help us to learn what it means to linger and remain in your presence when everybody else leaves. On not just on Tuesday or on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, not just in Monday morning chapels, but God, on the Tuesdays when we're walking to a shift, we just abhor and we just don't want to be at. Help us to show your love and your presence to the world because we understand that when we leave this room, your presence doesn't stay here. It goes with us wherever and whenever we go. With your heads bowed and just your eyes closed and I know it's Monday morning, you're probably sleeping right now, but wake up. I want you to take a moment and uh, maybe over the next day, I'm sure you have a journal. If you don't, you should buy one and write things in it. Maybe begin to write down those questions, maybe right at the top of the page. Who am I going to be? How am I going to treat people? And begin to answer that question. Begin to write from the, the depths of your heart who you want to be and make that a target of where you're gonna go. So when you have the reins and when you have the, the uh, decisions on your plate, you can look back to those, those writings in your journal and say, man, I, I, I was choosing to be this person and now this is where the rubber meets the road. This is who I'm gonna choose to be. And then you ask God for courage. But begin to ask those questions in your spirit even right now. God, give me the courage. Give me the courage to to answer those questions. Give me the courage to write down and to, to aspire to those, those levels of leadership that I need to be at. God, I pray that you would speak to them. Holy Spirit, give courage.